Hi, Jimmy here. Today we're pitching episode ideas for 60s cult TV show, The Prisoner. Satirical, comedic, surreal, and often action-packed, the show was a game-changer. A man tries to escape his captivity from a parody of a tiny English community. With mind games, twists and turns like nothing seen before or since, the show remains a unique roller coaster. If you're a fan of, let's be frank, television, it's well worth your time. If you've seen it, you'll know how slick the production is, from the sets to the sound design to the costumes. And you join us as we're discussing fashion statements. Where am I? In the village. What do you want? Information. Whose side are you on? That would be telling. We want information. 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 You won't get it. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> Sheppy, have you ever worn a jumper over your shoulders ready for tennis? You know, I have as a youth. In fact, I think there's a photo on our very website of us conversing when we're 10. Um, and I am doing just that. I'm doing everything but holding a racket. Amazing. I think I, I one of us is. I was going to, it's amazing you said that because you, we're such <laughs> pros now. That was mm -hmm. going to be the segue to do a, a website job. So that's amazing. That's, I was definitely going to say. There you go. <laughs> so if you want to know which one of us it is, go to shoulderspod.com. He's ready for oh, yes. it. <laughs> yes, find out. I need to know. I'm going to go. Well, one, <laughs> once more for that address, please, Jimmy. Pens at the ready, blue Peter Styley. Oh, I love it. Shoulderspodpod.com. There you go. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful ships. That was very professional of us. Well, whilst we're being professional then, I, I want to do a shout out actually uh, to another pod. So it's cool. It's all about like horror and shit and films and horror shit films and stuff. And it's called Don't Open This Podcast. And it's Ace. Um, and I'm giving it a shout out, frankly, because they gave us a shout out. But I've listened to it and it's it's good. It's got some like, you know, the best unknown horror films episode and and you know stuff like that weird weird horror films classic horror film series uh they did a whole thing uh one episode about horror sequels they would like to see which so we have a like kind of a crossover kind oh, of nice. stuff going on there so yeah so so there you are lovely very tasty and happy cracking Sheppy. lovely good for them and thank you that we're really grateful for their shout out too and uh you know, I really hope that they've had a chance to hear your Night of the Living Ed because, again, best title we've come up with. You know, so Thank far. you for the Shaun um, of the Dead 2, uh, T-O triple O. Uh, yes, absolutely <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Jimmy. With that in mind, shall we jump in to our kind of special episode? I'm Let's still not sure if this it, is... Let's do it, Sheppy. This is definitely part, obviously, of the Prisoner Experiment series, but the question is, is this also 
because it could be both an actual because today we're going to do pitches so is it going to be a pitch episode as well this uh well the listener will know so this is a pointless conversation but jimmy and i will find out in due course but yes we're doing the prisoner we're doing probably the worst introduction ever because we haven't done a hello welcome no we haven't that's amazing that's amazing but whilst i'm on this ramble we are doing the prisoner um and today we're doing pitches for potential prisoner episodes um by the way jimmy yeah speaking of which what are we doing where are we who are you who am i and what the hell is going on (laughs) all valid valid question sheppy so welcome to shoulders of giants i am jimmy good i am sheppy I was taking a cup you know, so bad at me. As I'm if sorry. I was like, I was still like, I was just surprised, that, like, oh shit, I have to speak, as if I didn't know that I was about. So I was like halfway through a mouthful of tea. What a fool. You call me a pro, I call myself an amateur. Um, but that's all right. <laughs> I came very close to doing a spit tape the other, uh, like about 20 minutes ago with the same cup of tea. I was talking to Marta and I said, because she saw her mum today, and I said, how's her mum? What's she been up to? And she was going, she wanted to say, oh, she's still going to the choir. But um, she, the pronunciation came out, um, she, she's still going to the whore. And I was drinking a sip of tea at that moment, and that would have been pretty perfect. Well, Sheppy, before I even give context on what we normally are, I want to say just while we're on Sheppy Golden Classics for the pod, just a quick anecdote. We when we recorded Conair, which was the last formal episode we did, you came up with a zinger at around this time, where you was, I was a bit tired and you were going to say because I was tired and I was traveling around Australia, you were saying to me, Jimmy, I'd order you get you to what was it recommend you to get a Lucasaid, but instead I'm going to say get a Lucasaid Sport, which was nice. an all timer. Flash I forward. Interrupt- did you talking about Chevy Chase doing a vacation and falling asleep Griswold style whilst you were driving? And instead of waiting for you to finish that perfectly good little uh, analogy, I, I dove in because I was so proud that the that um, punchline had just formed in my brain. I couldn't sit on it. I had to get it out. I was like a, a child at Christmas, <laughs> a greedy, selfish child. Well... I don't uh, begrudge you, sir, and it, it should such a pun before my brain, I would absolutely not let you finish any sentence. And, uh, you know, even mm-hmm. if you were rushing to tell me that Jimmy was locked <laughs> down in the well and needed help. Um, but I, I uh, anyway, anyway, flash forward three days, uh, I'm part of my travels. I'm staying with an old pal called Ron, who's a fan of the pod, and we're at their house, and I'm in his kitchen and he says he's going to go off to the gym and I'm still a bit pooped. So I say, don't worry about it, man. I published the pod Conair. He goes off to the gym. No word of a lie. His wife then just quickly popped to the shops to get some extra provisions for a barbecue. We were having that night. And, um, <laughs> and he basically, well, I'm then just, they get back and G and I are just having a nice little coffee on their veranda. It's only like about 50 minutes later. And the pod is published. Everything is happy with the world. And then I just get this tap on the shoulder. And it's a LucasAid. <laughs> <laughs> and he has, in the period of the pod being published and everything, uh, she got his Conair up in the car, 
called the wife <laughs> at the supermarket and said, make sure you buy a LucasAid. So I got one from an Aussie three days later just because of your gag, Sheppy. So anyway, I just wanted that's to say that was lovely. Wonderful. That's um, that, yeah. That's filled me with such pride of cause and effect. And I hope it quenched your thirst. Oh, like nothing else. Like nothing else. Um, was it a LucasAid sport? It actually was the, a traditional old LucasAid. Couldn't find a LucasAid sport, but I guess... Sub subversive. Technically, because it was from an Aussie, it was a LucasAid Yes, sport. exactly. Defensive. It's like if you get a nut in Brazil, you have to say... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it were breakfast in England. Um, anyway, anyway, we digress massively, Sheppy, because I should tell you, sir, that ordinarily we're a pod that would be doing sequels, prequels. Actually, what am I talking about? I've been doing that so much for prisoner pods, saying what we are. And then we're not doing that this week because we're doing a cheeky bubble talking about the episode. But today we are legit right now in this moment, Sheppy, going to do a sequel pre... Well, yes, an extra episode of The Prisoner, which right. is on Vogue, given we do regularly do sequels and prequels, TV shows, spinoffs, extra seasons, yada, yada. We've so, yes, done chaps. TV shows before um, and we've done, like, for example, uh, one-off episodes like 40 Towers mm. and Curb Your Enthusiasm. And we've done seasons of Blackadder, but this feels kind of different. I I guess because it's such a unique show, The Prisoner. Um, but yeah, I you know, just look at it, and there are so many brain fuck ideas and mind games and all sorts of things, and plus the surreal aspect of the show, and the characters, the 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 texture of the show. So I'm yeah, I I kind of sort of set it like without thinking really because the whole prisoner experiment series was really so we could keep doing you know episodes without like you know because you're a busy busy person and all you know so just to like be able to do stuff with less preparation than a regular pitch but then i always knew we definitely had to do a pitch at some point because if i don't hear a jimmy idea for a, a prisoner episode then my name isn't prisoner number seven I don't know that that understand. <laughs> so with that in mind, um, I'm very excited. And yes, yes, um, in terms of the possibilities, and it's such a good show. And I'm so happy um, that we've been doing this, you know, this, these, this, this show. With that in mind, before we actually get to the pitches, as you know, as this is the sort of the Venn diagram and the crossover episode in that case, um, what do you think? We have two more episodes left of the Prisoner show to do, you and I. Yeah. So with that in mind, do you have any kind of vague idea of where, how it would end, how it could end, you know? It's a good question, Sheppy, isn't it? I should have really sort of put a tiny bit more thought into this. My, my pitch, by the way, is sort of one where it leans into what could be the end in terms of I have felt there's one ruse that I'd have in my chamber that they haven't really used yet, which is the one I've used for my pitch, you know? Um, and I, I feel like it does have a sort of a finale type vibe to it. So I won't actually lean too much into that. I don't think we're going to get clean answers. Mm -hmm. I don't think, um, I think it's going to have a sort of a, a Lynchian vibe, right? I feel like it's going to kind of Twin Peaks us a bit, you know, and just fuck us a bit, you know, and like, I just have that feeling because I, I haven't, I've really deliberately stayed away from the internet, but I think there's a little bit of anger, maybe, about the finale or at I'm, least. The, the... I'm, 
Well, I'm. We'll save this exact conversation until after we've seen it. And I think yeah. Either, okay. I think it's safe to say that the us discussing the finale will be a separate podcast of this. One. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. Then, yeah. Cool. So with that in mind, in the finale of the Prisoner Experiment series, we'll talk about that because I have some stuff to say. But yeah, I whatever you know or think you know, fine. Of course, just. But I want you yeah. to go in as fresh as possible. Yeah. I will absolutely. say. I think, you know, basically, you know, you, that's a very satisfactory and a fair, logical answer. And yes. and I, I, I'm i excited, Sheps. I'm bloody excited. It's in, yeah. it's, it's this morning's activity. <laughs> Again, so, this is part of a, another conversation. But yeah, finales of TV shows are interesting. And sometimes things can end prematurely. Sometimes shows can run for too long and be a victim of their own success. And um, I think The Prisoner is probably the right amount because the last few episodes uh, start going off on one. And if it did continue for like even another 10 episodes, I would assume that would be the trend and they would get wilder and wilder. So, uh, you know, the ones that I really like are so five star. I, you know, I, I, I don't want, I wouldn't want it to dip too much. So it's all about 17 episodes, I think, altogether. And I think that's about right. Yeah, I've really, um, I, I'd see the joy to be had in the last couple we did, but I really love the ones which have in the rules and bending them and like having fun with like, you know, with the kind of the the more traditional conceit of it, like, you know, and I, I really, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Yes. It's been a so, treat, Sheps, but yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I'm so glad. I didn't want to interrupt you there. I just thought I should say, if someone's watching this as a pitch episode and hadn't listened to the others, because that is kind of fair enough, you know, listening to something that, you know, they probably haven't seen and not familiar with and just us talking about it. But The Prisoner, it's like 1967, uh, maybe it was 66 to 67, but 17 episodes, very surreal, um, kind of transatlantic, but also with a very English vibe, the village itself, you know, and all that stuff, very 60s, which is great. And I love Patrick McGowan and I love his brain and I love his anger. I love his performance and I love the character of number six and he's just so brimming and he's such a wonderful character. And I, yeah, I love McGowan in everything else I've ever seen him in so much. You know, and I think I would always like McGowan, but I love him just because he's always, I see number six, of course, in everything else he does. Um, yeah, so that it's, it's <laughs> I think Braveheart might be due a rewatch on this basis. Yes, Shepard, just... <laughs> yes, amazing. Um, Such a horrible person. I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool stuff. Um, um, and I, again, I'm probably going to repeat this again. This is the second time I said it. I'll probably say it again next time. But I will just say, um, as you know, as so this can be as standalone as possible. McGowan apparently after so McGowan and Gibbo got on really well when they were making uh, Braveheart. And there was talk apparently after that, so 96, 97, that Gibbo was going to maybe direct, but definitely star in a big screen version of The Prisoner with McGowan naturally playing number two. Um, and that could have worked. I, I could have seen that, you know. There was another rumour a few years later, I think in the early 2000s, where Simon West uh, of Con Air fame was um going to do one and he's english so you're like you're thinking well okay you know I, it shouldn't be anything like con air but you know maybe he can do it you know give him some credit and you know hope that he could you know, do it correctly but yeah um 
So that would be interesting. But I'm, I'm sort of secretly glad they never did do one. I would have liked to see the Gibbo in his peak sort of ransom conspiracy theory mm. sort of era um, doing that. And, you know, I think they could have done something quite interesting and giving it and they could have done it where it ends on a kind of a planet of the apes cliffhanger and you're like oh no uh they were in a like a st elsewhere snow globe the whole time and end it crazily <laughs> like that or they could end it like where he gets off and it's like a pure just like james bond hollywood which of course which would be the the worry of a big budget one where we would just go into like you know standard stuff so yeah be amazing though um but yeah yeah um fascinating Fascinating again, more what ifs. Oh, Ooh, ships. Uh, and I should say again, around there's like a 2007 or eight or nine version of The Prisoner with Jim Caviezel as number six and Ian McKellen as number two. And it's like maybe 10 episodes, maybe six. And you know, McKellen is the only number two. And it's set the, it's not like the village. It's like, I think it's like in a desert, like a Westworld sort of thing. Oh, I've wow. never seen it. And I was very against it. Um, when it sort of was mooted and it came out and people don't generally talk about it. I guess I'm sort of happy about that because I don't like, it's like when they redid Straw Dogs, it's like, why bother? It's, you know, you've not, and the Wicker Man come to that, the bees. So with that in mind, it's it's fine. It's fine. But I'm, I'm happy that everything is the way it is ultimately. I've never seen it and I probably never will, but who knows? I agree, Sheppy. I've not. I, I obviously haven't seen either, but I, I, I'm not even tempted to go and have a look. Although McKellen yeah. is number two, is great. I'd like to see that bit of it, yeah. that element. Yeah, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, and and just I suppose practical point there. If for some reason you found this through the website, um, you'll see. Hopefully, we'll create a page for this where we'll have all of the bubble episodes we've done, which have effectively mm. led to this point. We two episodes to go we've watched all of them debriefed on them all and now mm. come the pictures sheps i'm really uh i can't wait for yours man because this yes i can't wait so well that, that's a good question you, actually but... jimmy so who goes first actually in this case in terms of the pictures because uh, that's this, a good show i mean you set it but i'll be honest i think we should build to yours because mine is relatively slight i think it's like a five or six pager so i am happy to go first if you like it's kind of yeah it's by no means you know it's i'm I'm happy with the vibe of it and the first half of it and i think it's it's a tight little app um you know but it's um you know, it's not it's not uh, of substance. Okay, yeah, I think okay. there's something to be said for building to the Sheppy one because this has been in the chamber. So I'm, you know, but I don't mind. Just in case anyone does listen to this as a standalone and they haven't listened to the others, I guess a little bit more backstory. Just very briefly, um, I first saw the Prisoner as a teenager and I liked it, and it was on Channel Four. I believe you never saw it, which actually was one of the reasons I was thinking, oh, we we should have you know watch it, and it's not like ten seasons or anything. Um, and yeah, and you basically, I think it's safe to say, enjoyed the episode. Oh, definitely, Chef. So, it's episodes. been a treat. Yeah. There's some really brilliant, brilliant television in here. Brilliant. Yeah. Mm. It's amazing. It's been, uh, yeah, I can't, I, I, I'm going to put a couple of characters onto it because uh, it's just really good. Yeah. I love it. I lovely. Love it. Lovely. Well, that's nice. And of course, it is all Patrick McGowan's brainchild. And he, you know, he's, there are lots of also pseudonyms in the credits often for directors and writers when he did, you know, a lot. Um, 
by the way, you mentioned Braveheart. It's safe to, I just want to mention Vagoon, um, Babe, si uh, City of the Lost Legend, Legend of the Lost Dinosaur. Do you remember Babe, early 80s? William yeah. Cat, Sean Young. So, uh, and also, what's his face? He wrote Dalton Abbey. Um, that they, yeah, it's the dinosaurs, and Magoon plays the baddie. I saw that at Cranley Cinema. I think it's 84, 83, maybe. So, good wow. old Magoon for that. Good old McGowan for the baddie again, of course, in Silver Streak, the first pairing um, of Wilder and um, um, Pryor. Holy moly. Need to revisit it was their that. Prior film. Yes. Did you ever see Silver Streak? It's, I it did, was that but I don't remember it. Yeah. it yeah. Um, and then they did Stir Crazy, and then they did um, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, and then they did Another You, which I haven't seen. But yeah, so anyway, McGowan's the baddie in Silver Streak. Um, and McGowan is also in a, at least two, but I'm going to go ahead and say three episodes of Columbo as a different killer in each one, which happens often in Columbo because it ran for such a long time. They do double up um, Shatner for one. So with that in mind, McGowan definitely did one in the 70s, which he also basically totally rewrote the script and made it e even more amazing and directed it. And Leslie Nielsen's in it as a kind of a switcheroo rope-a-dopey thing where it sets up and it's Leslie Nielsen before he became Frank Drebin or Airplane and he was still relatively serious. And he comes in and you think naturally he's going to be the murderer because he's a, a celebrity. He was in Poseidon Adventure, for God's sake. And McGowan pops up and like, be seeing you. And he actually says, be seeing you in the episode. <laughs> and he fucking kills Leslie Nielsen under a pier. Um, and and it's a really good episode of 70s Columbo and 70s Columbo for me is really definitive pure best Columbo but McGowan was also in an episode which he probably directed as well in the 90s which I also remember really liking where he was spoiler Columbo catches him because McGowan takes a bite of cheese just after the murder so yeah good stuff so that's my experience ultimately oh and also I guess Ice Station Zebra which I saw once as a teen. So yes, yes. Uh, but I, I like the book more. But good old McGowan for that. He's, he's someone I'm going to do a deep dive into when we've done The Prisoner. I really want to... He's I an angry one... man. Yeah. An angry... Yeah. Uh, I'm really interested to, to kind of do a deep old Google on that man. Yeah. 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 You, I recommend yeah. checking out the episode of the show that he did preceding The Prisoner. Um being a uh, danger man and there's one episode which is definitely the prototype for the prisoner which is also by the way the plot to the pretty terrible if not worst film ever made 88 i think um john travolta air gross kelly preston um charles martin smith directing um the experts the x in experts being a hammer and sickle and it's too cool oh, american going to uh, and they get they get told they're going to open a club or something but they get shipped off deep into soviet russia where they're going to like build the perfect fake american town and then these two quintessential americans have to teach these commies oh how God. to act americans so they can infiltrate and spread their commie disease into uh, into america and it's not very good but anyway, it's kind of, you know, it's a fake village. So it's worth a shout out, probably. The experts, <laughs> it's not very good. Charles Martin Smith directed it. Um, no, no, actually, maybe he didn't, but he's definitely in it. Um, yeah, anyway, 
brilliant <laughs> have we oh, said brilliant. everything that needs to be said about the prisoner shall we shall we jump into the pitches let's jump into the pitches chefs yeah yeah do you want to go first or do you want me to no, go no, first no, i'll, no, I'll no, do the no, pallet no, then oh let's do it because i okay all right let me find it let me find i should have bloody had this up um yeah. prisoner app here we go okay sheppy now my view on this very quickly is i think this is a standalone i think it fits anywhere yeah but it, like I said, the plot does lean into sort of something I think I it has has finale-esque vibes. But then they all kind of flirt with finale-esque vibes, you know, escaping in the chosen Big Ben, for God's sake. Um, uh, but, but anyway, so so that's okay. that. Um, I've called it Evacuation. Uh, nice. It's the name of my app. Does it it's... have an exclamation mark? <laughs> yes let's do that yeah <laughs> and uh and then it's written and directed by rich nagapu hang on nagupum <laughs> rich nagupum which is Brilliant. you know and not so I, subtle I but... yeah, it's it's good stuff <laughs> yes. good job confound <laughs> it Holmes. how are we gonna crack this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that is good stuff <laughs> okie doke well Usual pre-cred, etc., of information, information, and yes, yes, and you know, um, resignation and bouncing teacups, and yeah. But just to let you know, that all happens. Good. Um, and then uh, number six wakes up to commotion. Pure dressing gown. Even the way he loops the gown has poise and purpose. Do I need to say that he's already angry? <laughs> he looks outside his window, and there is significant labour. Signs are being removed. The cafe is being closed down. Do you know the name of the cafe, by the way? Like, I've I was forgotten. Yeah, I, I was trying know, to find that last night. I couldn't find oh. anyone. I called it I something later on. Actually, I called it well, like something like there would be a great name for a cafe. If you, if you and I open up a cafe, we should definitely call it something prisoner related. Anyway, I'll I've lost this in the, the narrative in a minute. Um, <laughs> but the signs are being removed. The cafe is being closed down. Tables been removed. Some of the grass areas are being raised. Number six's mm. eyes narrow. With butte sound design, we can still hear the clip clop of his heels despite the commotion, as now dressed in blazer and Sheppy's shoes from the noughties, he walks past all that commotion for the number two HQ. When he enters the building, even this is being slightly dismantled. Chairs and tables are being carried out by our butler and others, um, and uh, number six's eyebrow leaves its head and returns to its original position again. <laughs> he enters the control room to find number two, now with just a solitary single stiletto colour phone, almost in a bare empty space, but with a couple of control desky things and um and and the big screen still. This Sorry, number I've just suddenly realized am I totally are you about to say am I totally stupid and I've just stepped in it anyway. But did you say who was being who number This is exactly was? the next line. You would have I, the same I actually, energy. I'm such a, I, I sort of realized it so I've just totally stepped on it. Really no, no, don't be silly. It's fine. So uh, yeah, this uh, you you and I have the same brain sometimes, you know, the, the energy is like now revealed. So yeah. So this this number two is played by a sixties Richard Briars. Oh, with that. That's oh my god. He's got such a kindly face, but there could yeah. be such menace behind those I see eyes. a real cherub cheeks, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, especially uh, 60s briars. Yeah. yeah, real. That's that's <laughs> hardcore. I'll tell you, for a brief second, I considered Ronnie Corbett. But then I was like, you know, 60s Ronnie Corbett. 
but I didn't want it to be too comical because I actually did want him to be a bit of a threat. And, and I didn't think Ronnie Corbett would necessarily come across that way. And he so iconically sits in a chair, it yeah. might be quite yes. tricky. Yes. <laughs> but it's amazing. <laughs> but Barker, or on the other hand. Um, <laughs> and it's good but... night from me seeing you. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, so anyway, Briar's standing in uh, the number two space, which is sort of slowly being dismantled. And he's like, well, that's that number six old chap. And uh, number six says, that's what? precisely <laughs> he says well, that... <laughs> he goes well that's that you know lisa's up time to move on move on can't say we didn't give it all a good go of course i shall miss the danishes at the be seeing you cafe i mean of course it's not called the be seeing you cafe but that's what we're going to be calling our cafe when we go to it. <laughs> um, and number six says what precisely do you mean is come again number six Am I free to go? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Boats will be here all week in the afternoons with the tide. Regular helicopters in the morning. The phone rings on the stiletto. Briar's number two answers it. Yes, yes, evacuation is on course, yes. Number one, yes, of course. Yes, he's right here. You want to meet him? Right away. So this is my big thing, Sheppy, like the wow. meet of number one. Like wow. So um, number two hangs up the phone, still chipper. Fancy meeting the boss? I dare say it's probably about time. I mean, how long have you been here now? Number six's left cheek twitches with curiosity. Too long. Yes, yes, you must think us the most incompetent interrogators. Honestly, though, I must say you've been our toughest subject, and even he says so, and he's not one to dish out compliments. He? Number one, come along now. Best not keep him waiting too long. I'm giving you a pure script here, Sheppy. <laughs> your face has become Richard Ryan. Your <laughs> cheeks have gone noticeably 18% rosier. <laughs> Number two presses about the centre of the floor, opens a little wider than normal, now with a staircase leading down. Uh, number six, eyes number two with suspicion. It's not too far. And you know what? We've just had it all fully air-conditioned. State of the art. They'll be ripping it. And I suppose they'll be ripping it all out again now. So six follows two down, and the staircase gives way to a long corridor with pictures of great British leaders all along the way. Nelson, Fairfax, Churchill. Um, and that's one other thing to sort of just quickly say about, you know, finale theories, Sheppy. I would like to know who's behind it all, nation-wise a bit do you know what i mean but for me mm -hmm. for now for this purpose mm -hmm. of this moment of this episode let's say um we are saying this is a a british thing you know yeah. um at the end of the corridor there is a futuristic door with a thumbprint number two scans his thumb the door opens next a similar door this one with a retina scan Two can feel Six's impatience with the security measures. God knows we all can. And says, can never be too careful. But you know, it really is quite the hoo-ha from human resources every time one of us leaves our post. Six almost smiling says, leaves? And I can't do justice to the McGuin's line reading there. But that delivery means you know that I know that he knows that we all know that number twos don't just get to leave. Um, right. Finally, a large oak door, no scanner. Number two gives it the old duh, 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 but there's no duh, duh, the other side. Instead, a curt, enter number two, 
the office inside is fully Chesterfielded up, oaky, classy, beautiful, decanted whiskey galore. Behind the desk, serving as our number one, Sheppy, brace your bloody cotton socks, Sir Alec Guinness. Wow. He considers number six, then starts laughing, then starts clapping and says, bravo, number six, bravo. Six moves around to the front of the desk, surveying the room like a Connery panther. Mm. And what, may I ask, are we celebrating? Number one. Uh, Guinness says, yes, I expect you'll want to know what that was. this was all about, really. You see, it hasn't been an interrogation at all. No, it's it's been an asset. Sorry, I'm, uh, he's not hesitant. I'm hesitant for some reason with Guinness, but uh, I, I'm trying not to do Obi-Wan. But <laughs> um, do Obi-Wan. Yeah, it's been an assessment. <laughs> I'm going to go just a bit like that, Sheppy, so you can tell my different voices. Uh, mm. And he goes, an assessment? There's a capital T at the end of that assessment, and you fucking know it. Um, you see, uh, Admiral Hardy is retiring, and we need a new head of the service. We think you've demonstrated more than enough resilience to execute the role. Number two is grinning like a proud dad. Number six, I think I've made my position quite clear. Number one, Wiley Guinness. Surely an opportunity to take this position would change that. Six, my position is unchanged. Number two is crestfallen. Surely number six, you know, number six says, a farmer with rotten cabbages can't simply wish for better cabbages. <laughs> Had to get the rotten oh, cabbages in there. Doing the cabbages. <laughs> number one opens a manila file. What if I told you you could re-harvest, build an entirely new crop of agents for us, clear out the old cabbages, bring in the new bit more back and forth here, Sheppy. Mm. But let me say, we get to a Delicious. position of number six being seemingly convinced, or at least playing along with this, this role that they're offering him to effectively head up the service. Um, cut to then six and number one, enjoying a whiskey. Um, two's out the room, and they're both being super cordial. And number six is like, so you were in C division, number one. I was, I was. You... Number six, K. Okay. And then number one says, You must have known Ducky Smith. And six says, Now there's a name. And they reminisce for a bit. And, mm. and we actually see um six really letting his guard down in a way we haven't seen mm. McGoon do yet. You know, he's kind of enjoying his whiskey and enjoying a moment with an ex serviceman as well. And they laugh at a story about this Ducky Smith and his antics. Mm. And then six just has a little slight moment where he's like, Ducky Smith, though, he only, he only lasted a few months. How would you have known him? And uh, number one says, stories travel fast in the service. At a moment of peak connection, one asks, so uh, rotten agents got to you, did they? And Six just says, oh, no, 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 no. It was, it was all more than that. And he sort of, and then it's that kind of cheeky 60s editing of like that, of course, Six is waiting to see whether he wants more or not, you know, to see if it's all part of the ruse, whatever. And one just brushes it away and says, well, water under the bridge now. And Six says, quite. And uh, we wonder whether Six is wavering on his belief in this setup. And uh, he's it, it instead offers a top up. And number one says, don't mind if I do. Terrible business, the war. And Guinness tells a devastating story about how his best friend um, died during uh, the, the war. 
And and this is why you cast Guinness as number one. A, the gravitas that he could possibly be number yeah. one. And then he nails it. He nails the speech. Haven't written the speech. Haven't written the story. Mm. But it really connects with Six, who sits down, hands over the whiskey and takes his own. And Six shares his own story of how he lost a friend. His story is briefer. He, but in the telling of it, he's visibly a little shaken to have that drama, that trauma brought back up. And one says, I'm sorry our test had to be so... And Guinness chooses his words thorough like that. And Six says, no, 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 I, I understand. And, uh, and number one says, this really is an opportunity to put us back on the map, you know, stand Britain up again. And number two enters with an envelope uh, and says, you two have been talking for some time and I'm afraid you've missed today's boat, but the air vac will be tomorrow morning. Here, number six. And he hands number six the envelope and there's a passport in there for him. And number one says, We've informed the Secret Service. They'll be there to greet us at Heathrow tomorrow. And uh, number two says, number one, if I could, uh, and uh, basically ushers number uh, number one to one side, number one says, excuse me. And number six says, of course, of course. Six stands, pretends to take in the adjacent room and sort of look it in, but all the while kind of obviously looking over his shoulder twitchily. Um, and two and one seem to have a pretty innocuous chat, only out of the corner of the mirror of the Magoo and Eyeball, he spots two and one exchange a note with a ridiculous sleight of hand, only made mm-hmm. more ridiculous by the fact that number six spotted it. Um, <laughs> two leaves and um, and six does a manly sachet. He kind of is a bit of a dancer sometimes over to the yeah. whiskey and says, same again. Only mm-hmm. the move to the drinks is a feint and he uses it to grab one uh number one i should say and pin him and interrogate him and say what's the note what's the note he finds the note and written on it is fiance janet and um number one during the tussle manages to hit a button and guards come in and there's a bit of baboof i put just for mm-hmm. sheppy purposes <laughs> uh, but number six is overmanned and overwhelmed and number one looks actually a bit shaken and dusts himself down and number six is in his cell to you know cool off somewhere in the building um, number one comes to visit him and um, and it's a very cool and you know I'm sort of saying mean and somber and a bit nails Guinness that comes in to see him and he just actually immediately in that sort of energy and space walks over to Six and just holds his head in his hands and disarms him and says my poor poor boy what have they done to you what do you think this is more games our offer is legitimate you have to understand, we need to run a complete check. Number two is confirming that your fiancé have been cleared. In, the, in this scene, the scales tip back again. Number six, presentationally at least, believes one again that there is this offer on the table. And they release him from his cell. But on leaving the number two HQ, this time now, by now, middle of the night, um, ahead of this air pickup in the morning, he can't resist following a couple of different odd-looking guards around the side of the building and into a new secret tunnel system where they seem to be a few forlorn prison characters, including in one cell, Sheppy, I've got hardcore on the cameos, <laughs> including in one cell, a crazy cameo from a young Terence Stamp. Oh, and wow. Six immediately recognises him. There's Ducky. But Ducky is looking pretty done in and beaten up. And he apologizes to Six for giving up the story of his friend dying to help them connect with him, giving up Six's fiance's name, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the two hatch a plan for Ducky. To, and effectively, the plan is 
um, that we're given in this moment, the ducky, uh, Terence Stamp is going to cause as much ruckus as possible and try and stage an escape in the morning. We cut to the next morning in our finale. We have six, number two and number one. So Bryce and uh, Guinness in number two's control room, still with the screen and a couple of little panels, you know, um, but, but looking a bit bare. And uh, six asks, just so the helicopters are all fueled and ready to transport us to London? And number one says incredulously, of course. And number six says, well, I want to thank you for being so open with me. And lights actually start to flicker underneath the screen on the consoles. Number two runs over to the console with a guard. Um, Briar's number two looks at Guinness and just says, there's a riot in the block. The stiletto rings. Six says to number two, should you answer that? It might be number one. And Guinness says, oh. I am number one. And Six says, you're quite sure about that? And Bryce catches on to what's happening and his face distorts into a rage. And he actually breaks the clip Bryce's poshness and goes a bit cockney and goes, wow. Harlan, the game's up. He's a bloody onto us. He went a bit ugly there, but never mind. It was meant to be a bit more cockney. But I could just see Bryce suddenly going a bit evil. And like, oh, uh, wow. And the stiletto keeps ringing as guards grab one and two, kind of out of characters. And they, they kind of, they switch their characters immediately. And Guinness is Harlan slash number one, who's been an actor all along, sort of Iron Man 3 mm. style, starts to <laughs> sniffle a little at his fate. And Bryce number two, is pure seething snarling rage and six is loving it all to or such happy sorry sorry just Brian's bit I see just being dragged off and he's like kicking with his legs (laughs) yeah really red face yeah and um (laughs) six is loving it all too much and says to double check the helicopters are fueled and ready Bryce doesn't reply he looks dead-eyed six gives it a be seeing you and he opens the door from the main room, only to find Rover filling the doorway, just uh, waiting for him. Uh, the, the, the just bars clank, big yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Oh, I, 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 that was wonderful. That was such a legit episode, by the way, Jimmy. And I think that's the greatest compliment um, that can be given there. It's, uh, it's so really, that me. could legit be the case. Um, <laughs> And it would work if it was like, well, yeah, it's like a good fake last episode, which of course it would never really work because everyone would always know, unless like Channel 4 or whoever it was back in like 1967 was like the last episode, and it's like episode seven, <laughs> and it's like, you know, at least another 10. But yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, so much to think about. Your, your number six is fantastic. Guinness, yeah, that's genius casting. Yeah, yeah, really. Ships. That means a lot to me because this has meant a lot to us. This one, this particular run. So yeah, Yeah. thanks, man. Yeah, what a ride! What a ride! I suppose you're wondering what you're doing here. So, um, so Jimmy, Jammy, shall I jump in to the whole shenanigans? Bloody do it! Yes. All right. It's not a shepic, but it is. It is the whole episode. (laughs) If that makes sense. Um, (laughs) It's um. I, I've got it basically, I wanted it to be sort of like vaguely mid, not, you know, well, I've got it as episode seven, which means it's sort of probably before, but it might be after many happy returns. Um, but yeah, I'm saying this is my episode seven and it's just an extra episode. Um, 
and it's starring McGowan, of course. And I'll just say right up front, my number two, I was really wanting, you know, because the number two possibilities are so fascinating. The actor who always plays number two or a man or woman is always really good. And the type of number two they are changes. It's like, you know, murderers in Colombo. Sometimes they're like really competent and sometimes they're just hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Um, and I was, and again, it's so funny because we've had people like Peter Bowles, not as number two, but being in the prison. There are so many good English faces. Got Anton Rogers as number two. You got Leo McKern as number two. For me, I always forget that Peter Wingard is a number two. And if I, in my wildest fantasy, would cast Peter Wingard as a number two, but in this beautiful reality we live in, in this particular slider verse, Peter Wingard is a number two. Oh, what joy. Um, he's Clytus from Flash Gordon, for one thing, but he's in lots of things, and he's great. He was in The Saint and The Avengers and all sorts as well, and Doctor Who. Anyway, good old Peter Wingard. So I was thinking, who should it be? Who should I be? And then the answer sort of came kind of obviously just obviously to me. It's a name that you might not know, actually, Jimmy, but so it's, it's a self-indulgent one on my part, but it's Roger Delgado. Does that ring a bell? It does ring a bell. I couldn't tell you what he's in, though. Yeah. Mm. Well, he was the original and, to my mind, best by a country mile, the master in Doctor Who. Oh, nice. And okay, so perfect. If, if this is 67, then this would be like a few years before his arrival in Who. But he, he would look good. He, he always looks like he has authority. He's kind of got a Mediterranean sort of olive skin type look. He looks like he could be the devil. He's got that kind of satanic look as well. Um, he could easily have a pitchfork. And he's always got this kind of simmering. I mean, of course, I know him as the master, but so he's got this sort of simmering intelligence and superiority and smugness, which is perfect for number two. Yes. Um, <laughs> so so there you go. And um, I haven't cast anyone else. They're just the typical, the typical bunch. Um, this episode is called Same But Different. Nice. Um, and I'll just jump straight in. Of course, we have the beginning. Da, 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 car, thump, teacup, file, resigned 18 times, going home, pop hat, hearse, really obviously following him down the road past Buckingham Palace, but this so-called super spy doesn't notice. Gets yeah. in, rookie mistake, hacks a photo of a palm tree so we know what's going on. Gas. Down he goes, wakes up a bit groggy, no idea what's going on, goes to the window, looks out, bam, 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 sees the village, same but different, comes up, where am I? And Delgado in the village, and so forth. Um, and then we open. We start Basically, in... <laughs> <laughs> um, we start in the village, early morning, the fanfare... Type thing to start the day comes from the speakers all over the place with a little you know good morning residents um you know and then music starts to be played and we see it come through the speakers all over the village in the cafe which is called whatever you want outside the post office down by the wharf up on the hillside outside number two's kind of blue green dome uh the main courtyard the giant chessboard etc all of this actually re-establishing various landmarks of the village and then we go inside number six's house and the music coming from his speaker and it's jaunty and has like a military bent a little bit as well and also of course a little bit of sort of pop goes the weasel type vibes 
Um, and it's also slightly aggressive and jarring and annoying. Um, and it starts number six from his sleep uh, with a jolt. And he immediately and clearly deplores this music. There's like half a second where he's just rousing from sleep. He's like starts awake. And then there's a moment of slight, like, where am I? What's going on? And then it's just like he takes in the music and his face just changes shape fractionally. And the temples start to throb. Um, and so... Thus, we see now a nice bit of face acting again from McGowan. His mind uh, works for a moment, his expression then sets, and then he springs up. His mind is made up as to his plans for the day. Uh, first, he marches across the house to the speaker, picks it up, marches to the front door, which opens automatically, and he throws the speaker out overarm and turns and strides back to the kitchen as the front door closes again with the... <laughs> Uh, we cut and we see all of this now on a huge screen and we move out from that and we're in number two's room uh, where he sits in his big egg and he's watching all of this on the large monitor with fascination and delight. Pure classic number two styley. Uh, two excitedly comments on Six's obvious hatred of the music and he's like... Um, leaning forward in his seat and he's like look you see just the right blend of military bombast and jaunty whimsy fingers down number six's own personal chalkboard shivers to his soul and we cut to whom he is addressing who says is music to your ears yes yes i've heard it all before and we see who this is and it's a statuesque and imposing blonde woman in her late 30s and her badge reads 999 and uh, number two says, but see for yourself, after all the other musical arrangements, styles, themes and anthems, this is the one that's finally got under his skin. And uh, he's loving it. And 999 says, provoking him to act. Yes, but it's been our experience here that when number six is provoked, his actions are anything but predictable. And number two, you just wait. He'll follow the script. You just see if he doesn't. And then now he's like pointing at the screen, even more animated. Yes, look now, he's positively murdering that coffee pot. Yes, make a note of it. These are the vibes that number six detests the most. Ha! And like, you know, he slams his like fist down into his palm in triumph. Um, his eyes all gleeing. He's really enjoying it. Number six is kind of looking kind of like not unimpressed, but she's not enthusiastic. She's got this whole air of authority, of course, um, and, and number two is deferential to her. Um, and she kind of like starts examining a folder, which probably has nothing to do with what's going on and, you know, filled with notes. And she's just busy, not really paying attention, but kind of like a cat kind of making a big deal of not paying attention. Um, so as number six prepares his breakfast and indeed really angrily getting his coffee together and slamming the drawers and just furious. Uh, we see number two is being served his own breakfast by the butler um, and that number two wants his breakfast prepared exactly as number six does his. So number two says to the butler, like motioning the toast, are you sure this is half fat butter? Number six is very particular about that. It is? Well, fine then. Now number six sits down to eat 
and you know takes furious munches of his triangular toast and number two watches raptly and you know he pours coffee from his own pot at the same exact moment as number six does and he puts in one and a half spoonfuls of sugar into his cup stirring it four times clockwise three times counter just as number six does at the same time uh, clinking the spoon on the side of the cup twice before putting it in the saucer at the same time and you know you can just see him doing all of this number two his eyes just never leaving the screen uh, number two lifts you know the toast and takes another bite but then hovers you know uh, still de deeply focused on number six uh, and he waits with his half bitten toast poised and then he takes yet another bite just as number six does uh, and it's just like a little a little thing that he obviously does um so yeah he makes sure he chews and even swallows in synchro number six um so he finishes one pushing their respective plates away and dusting their hands together to rid them of crumbs then number six goes to shave wash and dress and number two turns again to uh, 999 and says yes two more pieces of toast and an extra egg this morning number six is planning on some using some hearty energy today i should wager and yes look he's making a packed lunch and now we see uh, number six is like making sandwiches and and like they look really nice and he's got all the different like pots and condiments and things all out <laughs> he's like chopped up a pickle and he puts them all up and he wraps them up in a tea towel and waxes them in, a, in his satchel with like you know a, a flask of water or something and 999 looks up from her paperwork and frowns at the screen and number two says yes i think today number six is finally going to finish his map and uh, 999 says, hmm, so you say. And so, again, this is kind of mid-season episode, but we're again half told that number six is relatively new to the village. And he has this, like, notepad, and we're told um, that he is, like, periodically been heading off and mapping the terrain around the village by foot and just going further as far as he can in each direction. So, you know, one day he went, you know, as far as the beach, the next day he kind of went east, to like a cliff top and then like you know the other day he went through the park west as far as he could and he's like you know just surveying and being very methodical in a pure number six sort of style and he's got one direction left to sort of map out and that's uh the that's south essentially there wasn't enough of that i think actually more you say mm. like now at this point unless there is that in the finale but yeah anyway but yeah nice sorry right right and number two obviously is very happy about this um and number two and it's not really told exactly but it's implied it could be that number two has just been like you know sadistically getting under number six's skin by trying to find the music that pisses him off the most just for the sake of it and just to be horrible and just to you know get get under his skin and weaken his resolve but it might also have been just to sort of push him to actually do exactly what he's doing now and to go off and burn off some angry energy you know it's a little bit ambiguous but you sort of it could be so now um wait you know he's such a bad mood um and number two is watching and he says nothing motivates like discontent two is obviously uh, seeking approval from 999 uh very eager like a little schoolboy. um and so now number two is like going on like now he heads off south and uh, he's like, and wherever that may lead, um, because, yeah, so basically we're told that in this direction down south, it's basically where the fake Western village is in the episode of the Western episode. So it's up the little hilltop and it's like kind of dusty 
Um, and so basically we see number two going there. I mean, sorry, number six going up there. And, you know, so it's sort of dusty and just sort of leading off into what's called the wasteland or no man's land. Number two mentions it. And so now on the screen, number two and number six, no, no, nine are watching number six heading um, you know, out, just about to leave his house. And, um, and 999 says, and today he'll definitely be heading south. And number two says, and wherever that may lead us, lead us all. And uh, it fades out and he grins at her and it's uh, the end of the act. Uh, so we fade up and dressed and carrying his small satchel, number six now steps out of his house just as the milkman arrives, putting down two bottles, collecting two empty ones and also returning six's speaker, which he has just found in a bush. And the milkman says, good morning, number six. I think this must be yours. And he proffers the speaker. And number six says, thank you. Feel free to put it with the empties. And uh, the milkman's chuckling and he's like, and where are you striding off to today with such purpose? Today is this way. And he motions forward up the stairs past the big green dome and beyond. Um, and the milkman says, what, to number two's dwellings? Uh, number six is up, past, beyond, and away. And Milkman, well, up there and beyond is no man's land. And beyond that, well, I assume nothing. Aha! But I was always taught, you see, that to assume makes an ass out of you. And the Milkman says, and me? And uh, number six smiles enigmatically and smugly, and he starts to turn and to walk away up the steps. But the milkman's calling after him. But surely you know, this is an island, number six. And uh, number six, half turning, one would assume. And, um, <laughs> and the milkman's like, well, good luck and uh, be seeing you. And number six, not turning back as he walks up the stairs. Look there, another assumption. Uh, number six climbs and says, I like it when number six is um, chirpy, by the way, and jaunty. We're always talking about how great he is when he's furious, but when he's kind of like happy, <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's always really great. Um, so number six climbs the steps, walks right past the big uh, domed building with number two's office and stuff inside, and past the top of the village uh, to the hillside overlooking the community, and he keeps going. And as the little winding path bends to the left, six just continues straight, and that's his whole shtick. When he's mapping it out, he just fixes a point, and unwaveringly, he just goes straight, straight, straight in each direction as far as he can go. Um, so now he's doing this with his little notepad, you know, making notes as he goes along. Um, he goes off the path through some thickets, moving unwaveringly, um, and you know, and and uh, the cared-for grass and manicured lawn and so forth and fauna are replaced by bare soil and yellow untended weeds and bushes. And then we see all this on the screen, and number two and nine 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 watch as six walks confidently away into scrubland and then the barren and dusty uh, wasteland beyond. And 999 says, and you really expect him to just keep going, no matter the terrain? And number two, oh yes, today's the day number six visits no man's land. I'm sure he'll enjoy the solitude. And number 999, oh certainly, if he survives. Oh yes, I should think he should, a bit smugly. And 999, and so what and when if he survives the journey? And number two, 
Secrets were made to be discovered, number 999. And with that in mind, when I have possessed number six's secrets, then I dare say any transgression I've made in procuring them will be forgiven. 999. A lot of ifs, number two. And quite a few buts, I should imagine, but therein lies the game. And then 999, unimpressed. Yes, many think of all of this as a game until they lose. And uh, number two loses his composure for a fraction of a second, you know, gets a bit sweaty, but then he smiles knowingly and they turn back to the screen. And as we see number two, as he walks across this barren landscape of rocks and dust and space. Now, two options, depending on time mainly, and also budget. At this point, we could have a 30 second montage of just uh, no music, just footsteps in sand and gravel, panting number six, handheld swaying as he's sweating, shots of the sun, again, Griswold style, trousers on his head, not that far, <laughs> but, and, and, you know, he has to scramble up sharp rocks and it's really uncomfortable, you know, hard kind of, you know, Capricorn one style, like really hard cliffs he has to scale, possibly, um, but I've gone for a different version, which would probably be about four minutes long, maybe three if it's because you know, again it's kind of a montage with wipes showing passage of time but um you know we see him going through the scorched earth dusty and intense sun beating down and he sweats rubs dust from his eyes panting but he keeps going you see him drinking his water but soon he runs out does a real steve martin well no actually martin yeah steve martin and like a dribble comes out uh but then ahead see maybe a mirage shimmering in the heat um, Six is sweating and fatigued and he squints at the apparent uh, lush vegetation ahead and he nears it and finds it is no mirage but a dense and foreboding jungle and still making notes and sketches in his map he doesn't pause but goes straight in swallowed by the foliage almost immediately so again this is the alternative longer uh, sort of going off on one version of him basically his trial as he goes across uh, in number two's room now though we uh, number six is seen disappearing into the jungle there is apparently no monitoring equipment in there as now that screen fades to gray and 999 says and there he goes out of sight but not out of mind i assure you number two says 999 seems unconvinced and now number two turns away his smile again slipping for a moment and he swallows hard glancing a beat at the now blank screen as number six goes off uh, off grid um, and of course number two is it's a gamble uh, inside the jungle uh, a trail of trials as six pushes on through the thick jungle we have wipes and fades as we see number six's obstacles quicksand huge snakes really fake fire pits vines <laughs> to climb and swing on uh you know making use of his like homemade gym um apparently tropical weather intense humidity after the desert desert dryness six is increasingly sweaty dirty and battered as he traverses pitfalls booby traps poisonous plants including a mammoth audrey-esque venus flytrap which tries to eat him that snaps as he goes. Also, maybe a, a, an octopusy-esque tiger, which stalks him through the undergrowth. Uh, mammoth tarantulas, nasty-looking iguanas, etc. We see uh, six though use the jungle, displaying know-how, cracking open a root and drinking from it, like Billy in Predator, always adding to his notepad. 
uh, eventually. And, you know, again, this could be this whole trial thing could be 30 seconds if need be. You get the idea. Um, but I like the idea of like pure prisoner style. It actually goes on a bit too long. And you know, it means the episode will be like an hour and 10 minutes. But, you know, it's probably about five minutes. And you're like, yeah, I get the idea. I got the idea quite a while ago. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, so that's nice. Um, so with ripped clothes and some light scratches, number six finally arrives after ne never deviating from his straight line at a clearing where the dense foliage begins to thin. Uh, number six reaches out and parts the huge leaves, uh, revealing that he is on an outcropping overlooking a valley. And down there, spread out before him, number six stares a moment before his eyes focus. And we see in the valley below is the village. And we have the same music cue from the beginning with the reveal. Bam, bam, bam. And it's the end of the act. Um, now, at first, we, uh, we and number six assume this is a trick or some sort. Uh, or he's been led to go in some horrible circle. But as he scrambles down the steep bank into this village, it is almost immediately revealed that this is not his village. We see the dome, but this one is in green-blue, but a deep purple. The layout is almost identical, and of course it's filmed in yeah, Fort Merrin, but except we keep seeing little differences. Like, for example, instead of the giant chessboard lies an expansive and well-maintained Japanese garden. And where the main courtyard should be, where, you know, all those village meetings and gatherings uh, occur, is now a, a massive fountain uh, with elaborate fish and cherubs uh, you know, all over, spitting water and so all, all of that stuff. Uh, there are residents milling about, but there are, di there are big differences here, too. Uh, for one, there is perhaps an eighth of the usual population. Uh, also, everyone seems to be young and attractive. Um, you know, kind of like those people, uh, the astronauts in Moonraker, the master race type. And I also think um, they could all be sort of multinational, like, and it's never explained, but they're, you know, it's not like a Noah's Ark where it's one of everyone or everything, but it's just like a weird smattering of different ethnicities, um, which again makes it kind of different from the pretty white English village. Um, and some people don't speak English, but you know, but obviously most do with very plummy English accents, of course. Um, so the residents milling about, um, oh, and also these young pretty people, their eyes are all slightly glazed. Um, and as a bedraggled and suspiciously hostile number six moves around this village, these locals act politely toward him, but can't help but stare. But again, they, they don't they're not really emoting much. They're a bit like, I don't know, numb. Um, they're all wearing identical clothes, as usual, except the clothes these residents um, are wearing are white with black trim in, in negative to the norm. Uh, one beautiful and fresh faced couple are taking a stroll past six. And as one, they say hello. And six absentmindedly says, be seeing you to which they just sort of looked puzzled at him and then each other before strolling off. And he, number six notices their confusion. Um, and there are other little differences. The village shop, haha, is still there, but it's called something else yet again and is run by someone else. And also um, they sell kind of similar but differing stock. For one, there are no tinned products 
uh, number six notices as he pops his head in. Just fresh <laughs> fruit and vegetables and lots of fish uh, hanging, fresh fish all over the place. And six says to this young uh, proprietor, no meat, uh, no tins, no desserts, sponges or sweets. And the proprietor, no, 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 certainly not. Only the healthiest and best uh, produce here, sir. Be like us. That's what I always say. Is it now? Number six grabs the local paper. Uh, here it, it is called the Pip Pip. And he races to the, uh, to the beachfront where instead of uh, playing chess on the little tables, uh, now uh, spread out on these various tables, uh, patrons are playing on one table snakes and ladders, on another drafts and on, on another dominoes and so forth. Uh, and number six quizzes locals who are polite, but still all kind of like confused, all acting as if in a slight daze. They're all, they're all pretty stupid with slow thoughts, their sentences taking a moment longer to form before they speak. Uh, six stops one lady as she passes. Hello, I was wondering if you could help me. Could you please tell me uh, what is this place? And a local woman, why, this is the village. Of course it is. And tell me, how long have you been living here? Oh, simply ages. Oh, ages, my word. Well, thank you for your time, number. And he looks at her badge and we have a dramatic reveal and probably a smash zoom uh, to reveal that her badge reads number six. And number six says, you are number six? Yes, of course, of course. And then stopping a man passing by, you know, catching him by the elbow. And you, sir, who might you be? And this local's badge also reads number six. And number six says, another number six, with, a, with one of his like slightly crooked and demented number six smiles. And the local guy says, of course I'm number six. And uh, six now has a slightly nightmarish moment of like spinning around with the camera spinning around him, running up to different people of all shapes and sizes, all the badges revealing to be number six. That kind of creepy merry-go-round merry music. Playing. And the local says, you seem upset. Not really. It's just I suppose I've become used to being the only one. Or six, I should say. And local amused. But you're not number six. No? No. As if he's being silly. Well, I have a badge of my own. And uh, he looks at his own ripped top, but his badge is lost. Or had, I should say. And the local smiles dumbly and says, well, you know the old saying, be like us. And he waltzes off. Yes. Also, as he wanders this village, <laughs> repeatedly witnesses um, very bizarre uh, behavior, self-harming locals, which he hurries to stop. Uh, first, he sees a young man who steps directly into the path of a speeding dune buggy. Which, that's another little difference from the usual golf carts. They go by very fast around the village, and this guy is almost hit. And Six grabs and pulls the man out of the way, saving his life at the last second. But the man doesn't really react or show signs of comprehending the danger and near miss, let alone the dangers of not looking both ways and stepping into the street. And Six says, never heard of the Green Cross Code? And the man gives a blank look. Basic road safety. The Green Cross Code might not have been introduced until the 70s, but it's the equivalent of in 1967 in any case. And um, the man looks blankly and Six says, yes, yes, don't tell me. Be like us. And the man smiles blandly and wanders off. 
Likewise, Six passes the village ironmonger. Of course, there's an ironmonger. And he sees the worker drop his tongs into his open furnace. And he says, oops. And he reaches in with his naked hand. And Six rushes in and barely stops the man from plunging his hand into the red hot embers, who remains happy and carefree. And Six, grabbing his wrist, holding his arm firmly, inches from the flames. And Six is furious. But the man is just smiling vacantly at him. <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, Six sees a young girl standing on the on the edge of the cliff overlooking the bay. And she waves to her friends down below who wave back all smiling. And they shout up at her, be like us. And she calls back, be like us. And then smiling, she begins to take a step forward, one foot out over the edge of the cliff. And Six rushes up and grabs her and pulls her back. And the girl, slightly indignant, but acting like number six is playing a game. Hey, what's the big idea? What are you doing? I'm going to join my friends on the beach. By leaping from the clifftop? Well, if you know a better <laughs> way to get down there, try the path over there. It takes slightly longer, but you'll find it eminently preferable. Oh, you are silly, but I like you. And she goes to the path and begins to follow it down. So it is established then that uh, residents here are simple to the point of madness. Uh, they are all beautiful people, but insanely naive and childlike. Uh, Six has a conversation with one such local uh, who says to him, be like us. And number six, naturally, isn't it a lovely day? Yes, yeah, wonderful. Always such wonderful weather. Really? Always? Of course, never rain, never always sun, never cold, always warm, never empty, always foolish. You know, like foolish. And the locals like, ah, a great pun. You should enter that in the paper's competition. You'd win a prize. And oh, no, wonderful indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me, have you ever, any of you, tried to leave this place? Leave? Leave? Escape? Flee for your life, take a stroll, leave the village. Uh, leave, but why? It's all so nice here. So no one has ever left. Got into the jungle up there or the boat across there? You're silly, so it would seem. Uh, he And six choice such conversations with friendly but resident uh, residents. He gathers also that there are no rovers or equivalents here as well. No bars, no locks, no guards, just sheep. I must hand it to you. My old neighbours were complacent to the point of brain death, but you've all beaten them down, hands down. Uh, Six has been growing more and more irked, his patience almost at an end, when a red-headed lady rushes up to him now, flustered and out of breath, and she comes up um, and you know, skids to a halt in her little go-go boots and says, Hello, I was trying to catch up. You do walk fast. Some call it nervous energy. And the redhead, well, nervous or not, I have something for you. Oh, yes, more banal conversation, a blank stare, perhaps, be like us. And the redhead, I'm to take you to your home. Oh, what a capital idea. And then he abruptly turns and marches off at top speed away from her, startling the lady who then like, gathers herself and hurries after him again. And very, very fast, top speed, uh, Six marches up to his house and goes in, but he freezes as he enters, though, as we reveal the interior is totally different to his own. Uh, it's like the insides of a quaint cottage with doilies and ceramic figurines. 
and the resident um, who's again young and beautiful but short and also identifying as number six and she's kind of acting like a kind of a friendly grandma and she like bustles about and she's very sweet and polite offering six a cup of tea noting he looks all but done in uh despite her youthful face she is like yeah like hello hello the redhead now catches up again a bit of out, out of breath and comes into the place and she says i thought you were going home this is number six's house and number six how do you tell them apart and the short lady says so where do you live dear uh, forgive me but who are you and six ready to erupt says through a tight smile at the redhead ah finally a sign of intelligence yes who am i do you know it does i must admit indeed pose a, a not insignificant question if i'm not number six then who do you think i am and the redhead smiles and steps up to him and she says i thought you never ask and she pins a badge onto his chest and he looks at it we have a dramatic reveal as it reads number two um and number six is taken to his lodgings by the redhead number two's dwellings inside the purple dome uh fi six finally loses it and shouts at her aggressively and she almost cries and number six is like how long have you been here how old is this place what is its purpose and the uh, redhead but i told you i don't know b and uh, number six be like us be like us and whom are you and she reacts like a scared child and leaves and as she runs out the door of number two's big room uh, she says oh stop if you want answers so badly why not ask your butler and uh, she leaves and six pauses at this and frowns and says my and a female voice behind him says butler and six whirls and we see dressed in the butler attire number 999 and she smiles at six and lifts a silver tray carrying a, a tea set and we have a hard cut and see inside his identical room number two delgado watching it all on the screen smiling delightedly and he says ha and we and in his own room number six faces 999 and she smiles raises the tray and says cup of tea sir and we have the end of act break fade to black nice so whatever gamble number two is taking it seems to have paid off we find out the real number two's end game now where we're not sure if number six was meant to have found this village or all of that but now we find out everyone in the village is basically insanely naive to stop them hurting or killing themselves now six uh finding himself in charge of the places number two must start implementing rules and laws to keep everyone safe uh 999 carries out his orders you know ordering different people to put up fences signs barriers and gates you know they all read things like no standing on the cliff edge no work without safety precautions goggles procedures wear gloves when smelting etc always read the label before ingesting don't drink look you know as someone is about to like chug detergent and is in his efforts to educate and protect the residents number six is becoming the rule maker the taskmaster and the law keeper he must be firm with the laws for the resident's own good so number six now has gone from prisoner to warden and now actually becoming their de facto number two uh by making six um the authoritarian the keeper the boss 
he has become all he despises and which he's been fighting against, becoming all he hates. Um, this was number two's plan. This is designed, of course, to break his brain. Um, as he sets about becoming this number two, Six is noticing certain oddities as well that have been present in the new village since his arrival. Specifically, for example, we keep having the same phrases or mantras popping up, either being spoken, but also randomly in writing, kind of like on the, on the board outside the post office or whatever. Be like us is obviously very common, but also the phrase happy-go-lucky keeps coming up. We have been hearing this peppered throughout a lot of conversations, maybe in the background by passers-by, um, and by deep into the second half now, Six starts seeing it in print, like the village amusement area has luckies go happy go-karts and stuff like that. Um, the Baker's is called Happy Loaf. Next to it is a dance studio, go-go lessons. And then the butchers, Lucky's loins, cutlets and ribs. The jetty is called Go Lucky Wharf. And the only boat is a schooner named Happy. All of this put together, used throughout the village, six deduces this is a deep trigger or buzzword uh, linked with some sort of hypnosis. This is why no one can tell him how long they've been in this village or how old this village actually is. At one point, some of the paint is still wet. Uh, number two confirms this when talking to 999, both in their identical control rooms in Six's absence. 999 saying, could he crack the code? And number two, not a chance. The very words used to send his residents into being susceptible simpletons is woven throughout, deep and wide, hiding in plain sight. No one could piece all that together, not even our famous number six. But perhaps unsurprisingly, six fucking does notice and he does crack the code because he's fucking number six, seeing it for what it is, and he flips it. So as number two, he's, you know, his own number two, number two in inverted commas, he submits an article to the Pip Pip called Living with Agriculture in the 20th Century. And he gives it to number 999 to deliver to the editor. And uh, Delgado, the real number two, watching all this, is puzzled as he uh, examines the article in his own copy of the Pip Pip. Number two sees um, and we think that, you know, peppered throughout this article, which is very boring and banal, but number six's own buzz mantra, be happy, go lucky, think freely. And this number six is weaving throughout in this article. Also, and number two, like, scrunches up this massive broadsheet paper in angst and frustration and says, what is this? Uh, this is also used subliminally as six has his choice of music now played for on the village tannoys and his own secret mantra, mantra woven throughout. Uh, number two discovers this too late. And finally, number six orders 999 to have the entire village, which isn't that many, turn out in the equivalent of the main square next to those massive fountains for his public address. So standing above and in front of the population of this village, number six addresses the assembly. 999 is standing next to him, holding her silver tray again, balancing uh, this time a bone china tea set. Um, and as number six gives his speech, which again is kind of rambling and all over the place, um, very surreal and weird. Six is like drinking from a tiny bone china teacup uh, from this tray, you know, holding the saucer underneath as you do. And as he's giving this speech, 
and he's drinking from the teacup, we cut to the audience, the groups and the individuals, then to 999, next to number six, and then to number two in his office in the real village, watching on the screen, holding his own identical teacup, uh, you know, again, mirroring number six with the real butler standing next to him with his own tray. And as before, taking a sip every time number six does and topping it up every time he does. Um, and at the end of this short and by the numbers speech, Six drops uh, his clangor, uh, saying clearly and unhidden for the first time. So remember, one and all, be happy, go lucky, and of course, think freely. Members of the audience subtly sort of react to this, some blinking a bit, others looking slightly confused as if groggily waking up. At his side, 999's face changes as she too realises Six's plan. And watching in his office, number two slowly raises his teacup to his lips, but never drinks, his hand frozen as he too starts to realise. And now number six says, I leave you now with these last words. My final and only mandate as your leader is just this. And Six speaks three words. And as he says these next three words, we cut kind of in prisoner style, quickly and jarringly with each word. So we see Six say it, and then we have a cut. Uh, the first word, you know, sort of punctuating each word. Um, so the first word is like the crowd of faces. Then the second word is going from six to nine, nine, nine. And then finally, we go from six to number two when he says the last word. Um, and the word he says is be like me. And uh, in his office, uh, number two drops the teacup, which shatters <laughs> on the floor at his feet. And the crowd in the, uh, in the other village start to murmur a little and uh, sort of unrest starts to spread. And Six glances slyly at 999 with one of his uh, half smiles. And she looks back, her face set like stone. In the real village, number two now rushes, totally losing his cool, from his office, out of the green-domed building, straight to a waiting chopper, one of those classic village flimsy-looking choppers, uh, which flies directly up over the wasteland, over the jungle, uh, right over to the other village. And from inside the copter, uh, number two watches in horror as down below he now sees that the other village is now on a protest march. Suddenly all the residents are equipped with and are carrying signs and boards which read, happy go lucky, be happy, go lucky, think freely. And finally, most of the boards are reading, be like me. And they, uh, and they march in a tight circle in the village centre, chanting in the actual fountain as well, splashing about, be like me, be like me. The crowd trash and stomp on the Japanese garden. They pull apart the fountain. They chant with growing passion. And on the outcropping above the village now, where Six originally emerged from the jungle, 999 now stands looking at the anarchy below as the this village is torn apart, revealing now, of course, that the whole place was clearly made of balsa wood and cardboard and had only been up for a few days. And she watches as the helicopter lands in the village square and number two rushes out, panicked, trying to shout, happy-go-lucky, happy-go-lucky, at all the residents who chant back, be like me, be like me, right into number two's wide-eyed face um, as he's lost all semblance of any cool he ever had. Uh, bendy legs grabbing people's fronts and all of that. 
we see as number two running wildly from one resident to the other, um, grabbing their picket signs and throwing them to the ground. But there are too many signs, too many people and too much chanting. And two finally turns on them all and screams right at the crowd. Number six, you must stop. Numbers six, numbers six, uh, to the crowd. And then finally, they stop their marching and vandalizing, turning as one to stare right at number two, feet away from him. And the residents of this other village all chant back at number two, we are not a number, we are free souls. And this finally breaks number two, who sobs as he physically crumbles, collapses, and is lost to the throng who basically march over him. Looking down from above, 999 watches it all, and then sidling up next to her, number six stands, silently watching the sight below, the chanting faint but audible from the group. And a moment as they watch together in silence before 999 turns away, almost bored, and 999 says, I've got to give it to him. It wasn't a bad plan. And six says, but not good enough to keep a second village standing, I suppose. 999. Oh no, this will all be gone again by morning. Easy come, easy go. Sometimes. 999 now looks uh, toward the waiting helicopter below. And 999 uh, says, right, no rest for the wicked. Back to the village, the real one. Then turning almost lazily to six, she says, I suppose you'll be wanting a lift. And six gives a small smile and says, thanks all the same. I think I'll walk. And defiant to the last, number six turns and walks back into the jungle, rejoining his own treacherous route and uh, beginning his long walk ahead. And then face, shooty at camera, bars, clang, end. And it, there's no reason why it would have a tagline. It's got a tagline. And that tagline is, freedom is a lie, captivity is a joke, number six is seeing double. Because so it's a specific tagline to this episode. That's nice. So there you go. <laughs> so, so lovely, Jimmy. Lovely. Jeffy, lovely. fucking hell. How long has that been in the clip, seriously? Like, how long have you munged on what a prisoner it would be like? I don't know. A couple of weeks, maybe, was when it, the germ of a second village sort of came out. Yeah. Nice. Well, man, it was bloody like that was the perfect ep chefs. It was amazing. Your your McGowan is bloody amazing. <laughs> and what a fantastic 999. Like what an interesting character that is, like to kind of mm. have in the mix as well. You know, yeah. that's actually sort of a, I could see her returning a few times. Yeah. yeah. She was kind of fully formed just sort of arriving. I guess, I mean, all the prisoner women, the village women, most of them are very shady and, very domineering and intelligent and commanding and there's definitely a theme going on and yeah i like 999 and yeah yeah and i want to see all those octopusy in the jungle challenges absolutely i would like to see that and it could be cheap as fuck you know i could see the whole jungle obviously being (laughs) a set which is like five meters square if you're lucky it's like the same patch shot from as many angles as they can massive close-ups yeah jungle noises yeah yeah well sheppy that's bloody beautiful thank you for for realizing that for us that was wonderful and well thank uh, you dude thank you for going on this journey so we have one more episode ahead of this prisoner um experiment where we will discuss the, the final two episodes and our overall thoughts on the theme 
and yes this whole thing can be a lovely uh, little yeah and I, i've enjoyed it very much Kieran. so so wonderful and indeed we have already or i have already set the next episode which was um et yeah. as i mentioned so that will be our next one very exciting to see that uh lovely Sheppy, how on earth do we end this puppy how can we bring this home well, obviously, be seeing you is the obvious thing to say. But then, since this is like what episode seven of the prisoner exper experiment, we've said be seeing you like 17 times, I imagine. So I don't know. Um, do we go out with a bang? Do we do a rover impression of like a, uh, 